The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Shane. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LCC Northlakes. And I have the great privilege of continuing our series that we have been in for the last seven weeks, looking at the book of Daniel. And we've seen some really cool stories, really cool things over the last six chapters of Daniel. Some of the most famous passages in the Bible, Daniel in the lion's den, as Kylan preached on last week, and the boys going into the fiery furnace and the writing on the wall. And then, as you would have noticed, we kind of pivot in our story of Daniel right now. There's a, there's a transition that happens here from historical narrative, these stories about Daniel and his friends, to kind of visions and dreams from Daniel that he has, and he calls them night visions. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend some time looking at these two visions, try and understand what is going on in these visions, how do they apply to us, what's the point, and what do they say about the Lord. Um, But before we do that, uh, it would be great if you would all pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is alive and active, that it speaks to us, that it goes forth. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you, would you lead me as I preach this morning? Um, would your truth come out? Would you prepare our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and hear and, and believe what you have for us this morning, that we might leave as people transformed by the good news of the gospel, knowing who you are and who we are because of that, might be able to worship you in a greater sense of that. And we just pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Who here likes reading books? Like they, they love a good book. Yeah, like, like fiction, like Narnia. You're like, I read all the Narnias. Like you just, that ink on the page just shouts. You're like, yeah, it excites you. Right, if that's you. Yeah, who's here is like, nah, I'm more of a movie person. Like, yeah, I heard about Narnia. It's that movie with the half man, half horse man. And you're like, great. If there's a good book, I'm going to wait till it becomes a movie. Right, who's, who's a movie buff? Yeah, cool. Well, well good news for you is that we kind of transition here from storytelling to movie watching. We're going to get these vivid pictures and dreams of symbolism. And the point of this kind of prophetic symbolism and visions and apocalyptic literature is to invoke emotion and to point to things beyond what we're seeing in the kind of present moment. And so when we look at these beasts, we need to ask, what are they representing? What are they pointing to beyond themselves? And the sad truth about these last six chapters in Daniel is most people get to them And they kind of go, yeah, that's way too confusing. Like, I have no idea what is happening here. And they kind of leave the book of Daniel. A lot of people just jump ship here and go, cool, I've heard all the good stuff. And we're going to go maybe to a gospel that I understand, right? Or on the other hand, some people go, great, I love this stuff. I'm going to figure out how all this points to Elon Musk being the Antichrist. (laughs) And that's probably not as helpful either. And so my prayer this morning, as we look at this, is by the guidance of the Holy Spirit that we might be led into greater truth to see how these images and symbolism and beasts point to the gospel of Jesus, how they point us to understanding who God is and how his plan for history is good news for his people. And so first, what I propose we do is we're going to look at these dreams, we're going to look at the beasts, and we're going to look at the little horn, and we're going to see two powers at play here. We're going to see the powers of the beasts, And then we're going to see the powers of the enemy that primarily is going to be seen in this little horn that arises in both chapter 7 and chapter 8. And we're going to see how these powers stand up against the power of God. And so first, let's start with these beasts. 
Daniel writes, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea and four beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. And I kind of got a, a, a Googled a picture of these beasts. Obviously, that's not what they look like, but um, I don't know that someone drew them and said, thought this was it. But we see, we see a lion with kind of eagle's wings and it kind of stands up as its wings are plucked out. There's a bear there with one side kind of raised higher than the other and some ribs in its mouth. Uh, we see a leopard with four heads and four wings and then kind of a, a, a dinosaur. Like, I don't know how they got to that because we don't really get a description of the animal. We're just told that it's got eye and teeth and it's, it devours and it's, it's, it's powerful and different from the rest. Uh, and that's kind of, for those who learn visually, that's kind of what we're seeing described here and, and a bit of that is taken from Revelation as well. But we're left wondering, okay, well, what the heck? Like, what are these beasts? Who are they? And what is the point? And the good news for us is when Daniel saw these beasts arising from the sea, he was just as confused and anxious as us. So he goes to someone and asks, and then an angelic being kind of tells him what's happening. And so we read down in verse 16, he said, And he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Like, that's good news for us. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Four kings that shall arise out of the earth. Now, this sounds familiar. And if if any of you remember back in chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of this statue that was four kingdoms that were going to arise after Babylon being the golden head. And we're told that what happens in this dream is is Babylon is the head, and then after Babylon, we're going to meet the the Medo-Persian Empire, and then after that, Greece, and then Rome. And so whilst there is some contention around what these four beasts are, most commonly understood, these are the same kingdoms from chapter 2, the same kingdoms that are going to arise out of the earth after Babylon. And so let's let's look at them one by one real quickly and see how, how do we come to this kind of definition. How, how do we know for sure that these are these four kings? Well, if we look firstly at the lion with eagle's wings, we see back in the day, Daniel would have seen this and known this was Babylon. The lion was kind of the symbol for the great nation and emperor of Babylon. And then the eagle wings, what, what's cool about this is that we read in Nebuchadnezzar's story, in, in the height of his pride, when God brought him low, it says, then as I looked, the wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet. So Daniel sees this here of the wings being plucked off. But in Nebuchadnezzar's story, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar is brought low and it says his hair is made to turn like eagle's wings. But then as we see again, that the, the line is to stand up on two feet. And it's this idea that Nebuchadnezzar was then brought up. As, God, as he humbled himself before God, he was able to stand and given the mind of a man. And so this is a direct correlation with the kingdom of Babylon and the king Nebuchadnezzar. It's a picture of this lion. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, Daniel would have known that. But then we move on to this bear. This bear has one side raised up with three ribs in the mouth. Like, how do we know this is the Medo-Persian army? Well, if we recall back, Kylam touched on this a bit in chapter 2, that when the Medo-Persian army came in and conquered Babylon, the Persian army was the more superior army. The Medes were there, yes, as a partnership, but the Persian emperor and the Persian side was much greater, much stronger, and had much more influence than the Medes. And so we see this beast with one side lifted up. It's this idea that the Persian army was the stronger side of that partnership. And then it suggested that these three ribs were three kingdoms that the Medo-Persian army came and devoured. It was Egypt, Babylon, and then Lydia. 
And so we can see here that there's starting to be some correlation between these kingdoms and the kingdoms in chapter 2. But what's interesting is that we see this looking back in history. But when Daniel received this vision, he was on the other side of history. He didn't know what was to come. We can look back and go, yeah, we know that it went from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire, then to Greece, then to Rome. Daniel didn't know that. Like he may have seen the Persian Empire coming. Like he may have known this. And the cool thing about this too, and from here on, we are going to see that we're no longer in chronological order. We read in the first chapter that this happened actually back in between chapters 4 and 5. Belshazzar was still on the throne. And we learned about his death in chapter 5. And so for us, we have hindsight. Daniel did not. And so he sees this and it's confusing. But then we get to the third one, which we're going to say is Greece, based on chapter 2 and, the, and based on history as we look back. But how do we come to that conclusion? Well, it says there's this leopard with four wings and four heads. And so the Grecian Empire was led by a man named Alexander the Great. He was a strong man. He came and conquered the known world faster than anybody has ever conquered the known world before. And he was a young man in his late 20s. And when he was about 31 years old, he died suddenly. Some suggest he was killed. Some suggest he just got sick from pneumonia or something. But he died suddenly. And when he died, he did not have an heir. And so what he ended up doing was giving his empire to his four generals. And so what we see here is this leopard, which connotes speed and agility as, as he came and conquered so fast, faster than anyone had before. But then these four heads and these four wings, talking about the four generals that took over the Grecian army. It's crazy as we look at this and just the accuracy and the detail given in these visions about the future for Daniel. And then we get to this fourth beast, where we're not given a description of an animal. Some think it's a dinosaur. We don't know, but what we are told is that it's got these iron teeth. And from it comes ten horns, and from those ten horns comes a little horn. And if we look back to chapter 2, we remember that the fourth kingdom was the legs and the calves of iron, pointing to the Roman Empire that would come after Greece, strong and brutal and ruthless, and come and wipe, like, like no one ever before. And so these are the fourth beasts from chapter 7. And it's so crazy just how accurate and detailed these visions are of these beasts. Like we can look back and go, yeah, like we saw that happen, but Daniel didn't. And he sees in front of his eyes these crazy beasts of what is going on. And the Bible over and over and over again is true. It's true. And history and science and everything is just catching up what the Bible has already said. And so these are the, the four beasts in chapter 7. Okay, cool. What, what, what's the point of them? What, what's going on here? Well, before we get to that, I want to talk about the other two beasts that we see in chapter 8. And so we get in chapter 8. I think I've got another picture of the two beasts in chapter 8. There's a, like a unicorn goat um, and a ram. And so the good news for us is, again, we do not have to go far to get the interpretation of what these beasts are. If we continue reading chapter 8, Again, Daniel overhears this conversation between these two holy beings. One asks the other, what is happening? It says, as for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, but not with his power. 
And so what we have here in chapter 8 is just a zoomed in version of the second and third king in chapter 7. We see this ram with one horn bigger than the other, again pointing to the, the Persian Empire being stronger than the Medes. And then we see this goat with a great horn, who we have said is Alexander the Great, who led the Grecian Empire. And said he moved across the, the earth without touching the ground, again talking about the speed in which Alexander the Great came and conquered. And then we, we read that the horn was broken, and what came? Four more horns. Again, as Alexander died, four of his generals took over. It's just, it's just crazy. It just blows me away just how accurate these dreams are, the details given in them. And so we see this zoomed-in picture, but, but we've got to ask again, why? Like, what is the point? Why do we get a zoomed-in picture in chapter 8? What are the beasts talking about in chapter 7? And I think that's a great question. I'm, I'm glad you asked. And I think the point of this is that God is showing Daniel that there is still to come suffering and persecution for God's people. Like super encouraging, right? Like Daniel's seeing these visions. He's, he's, he's kind of understanding a little bit, but not really. And God is showing, hey, there is still coming persecution and suffering for the saints. Daniel, in the back of his mind, would have been thinking about Jeremiah's prophecy that it was only going to be in Babylon for 70 years and be able to go back. But he's seeing this and seeing these beasts arise from the earth that are going to come against other nations and cause conflict on God's people. And the zoomed-in vision in chapter 8 is pointing to a heightened conflict. As we'll see during the time of these two empires, God's people were brutally treated. But the difference between chapter 2 and chapter 7 and 8 is the perspective. What we see in chapter 2 with this statue of these valuable and worthy golds and metals and silver and bronze and iron is this kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. Nebuchadnezzar saw these as valuable metals. But what we see in 7 and 8 is these kingdoms from God's perspective as monstrosities as beasts of kingdoms of sin and rebellion that come against God and God's people. And as we look around the world, we will see kingdoms and empires building themselves up. They might look shiny on the outside, but on the inside are filled with rebellion and futility. And God is telling Daniel, and he's telling us that there is still to come suffering and persecution for the saints. Like, and that's, like, this is not the most super encouraging vision to get. But that's not the only thing we see in these chapters. Because what we're going to see here is God showed Daniel that despite these kingdoms rising up in the earth, despite the power of the beasts that are waging war in front of his eyes, that God is still in control. And we get what is arguably my favorite passage in all of the book of Daniel. And it says this, as, as there's beasts in front of him, there's, there's wars going on, there's waves being stirred up, there's winds. We read this in verse 9. And as I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Like, I love that picture. There's chaos all around, there's battles, there's wars, there's fighting, there's charging. And God walks in and just sits down. Like, he just sits down. Like, if there's a power move, a power moves, that's it. Like, he doesn't get in the fight. He just sits down, and I I love this because there's no one like our God. There's no monster that can scare him. 
There's no power that can come against him. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the ancient of days, the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the great I am. And then we read more about him in description. His clothes was white as snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to burn with fire. Like I love this picture. As God comes in and takes his seat on the throne. Like if you read again, it's his seat. He doesn't say he comes in and takes a seat. He comes in and takes his seat. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. And he comes in and sits down. And it said these thrones were placed around him. And we get this picture again as John sees in the book of Revelation of these thrones around the throne of thrones. And they're described as the 24 elders. And what it is is this beautiful picture of the final judgment as the court is sat and the book is opened. And then judgment is pronounced on the beast and what? It's killed. Like there's, there's no war. There's no fight. There's no battle. God just goes done and it's done. Like it's finished. Sometimes I think when we picture spiritual battles, we picture God and the devil. We think they're equal forces fighting each other. They're not. Like they're just, they're not. God is the great I am. God doesn't come on the scene like Horror movies. Has anyone seen a horror movie? Probably not. We're all Christians. Maybe you just saw a trailer one time as you were watching um, Veggie Tales. And but if you think of a horror movie, like there's this, there's a scene of where the priest walks in with his cross and his holy water, and you just know that guy's getting lit up, right? Like he's just he's getting, thirty seconds. He's thrown against the wall. That's not what's happening here. God walks in. He sits down. And he goes, "You're done," and he's done. The beast is thrown away. Man, when we get this picture of God and who he is sitting on this fiery throne, we can proclaim like Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like if this guy is for us, who can come against us? Nothing, no one. And church, we will face persecution in this world. There will be kingdoms that rise up in the earth that come against God and his people. There will be individuals in our own lives that rise up and come against us, that persecute us, that attack us for our faith, for the way that we live and the truths we proclaim. And we have a choice in those moments. Do we, do we puff our chest up and try and fight back? Do we get on the back heel and we get defensive? Or do we choose to stand in our faith on the steadfast truth of the gospel and love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Because we know that this guy's fighting for us. Like, I don't know if you know this, you don't have to defend God. Like, he, he doesn't need you to defend. He doesn't need you to fight for him. Like, I'm pretty sure he's got it. Like, the being on the fiery throne, my money's on him. And as we see in this book, he just, judgment, and they're gone. And they're gone. But it also means that we don't need to be afraid when in the midst of suffering and persecution. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to hide our faith. We don't need to withdraw we can stand firm on the truth and love those around us. Because while we have a hope that this guy is coming 
And one day he will take his seat and judgment will be declared. And he is the righteous judge who sits on the throne. He is the one who at the end of all things, as the book is open, declares right and wrong. And when we live in this world, we're often worried by the rulers. Like even if we look at society right now, like if I'm being honest, there are, there are things that concern me. There's things that worry. I don't know what the political, the social climate is going to be like when my son grows up. And sometimes that scares me. Like what's school going to be like? I don't know what they're going to be teaching. But over and over and over again, I read in the Bible, like the most repeated command is what? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Like how? Because God's got it. Like God's got it. What do I mean by God's got it? History is his. Victory is his. Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like God's got it. And he's got you. Like I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know where you find yourself in life right now. Some of you I do and some I don't. But we're all facing hard times in our lives. Whether you're a Christian or not, there is going to be moments of persecution. There's going to be moments of suffering. And Daniel is saying here, we can trust in God because he's got it. Like he's got you. Like he's, like he's got you. Like he does. Like he's, he's got you. And he's not letting go. Like what can separate you from the love of Christ? Like nothing. Nothing. Like he's got you. He's got you. Like he does. And then over and over and over and over again, we read in the book of Daniel as it screams to us, God is in control. He's in control of all things. He is above all things. He holds all things together. And so this empowers us to live in this world, to live in our Babylon with a hope that this is in the future. That one day we'll be reunited with our heavenly father. But it's not only the ancient of days he sees here. If we remember back in chapter 2, there was this stone that came and destroyed the statue in all the kingdoms. We meet the stone again in chapter 7, this time in the form of the Son of Man. Verse 13 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom and that shall not be destroyed. What we see here is the stone in chapter 2. What we see here, I want to argue, is the pre-incarnate Christ come to take what is rightfully his. As he is raised up, lifted up, to his rightful spot beside the Ancient of Days. John again gets a similar vision in Revelation. One like the Son of Man who died and is now alive and will return to establish his kingdom forever. Jesus is the one who comes to defeat all other kingdoms. And how does he do it? How does he accomplish this? Through the cross of Calvary and the resurrection from the grave. That's how he does it. This is the hope that Christians have. That Jesus came, not only is the ancient of days, not only is God the righteous judge above all, he is our loving father who sent the son to earth 
to die on our behalf, that we, because of his sacrifice, might now be able to come to the Father, be brought into the body, and be given a true and everlasting family, to be a part of a true and everlasting kingdom. Like That's the hope of the gospel. And who accomplished this? Not us, but the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. Like That's good news for us. And we respond in repentance and faith. And while I'd love to just finish the sermon here, I think, I think it's important that we quickly look at this power of the enemy. Because we have just seen that this power of the beast, which are the powers, the kingdoms of the earth, they have nothing against the ancient of days. They, can, they can't come against him at all. He has power over and beyond them. But what about the power of the enemy? What about the power of the enemy? And we're going to see this primarily in this little horn that shows up in both chapter 7 and 8. And this is probably where we see the most debate, the most contention, the most uh, disunity in who we think this little horn is. And so at the end of all things, if you have any emails, send them to me, kylam at lifecenterchurch.com. But no, I'm going to do my best to try and give you what I think is the interpretation of this little horn. Because what we're going to see in both these chapters, I want to argue, is a historical fulfillment that points to a future fulfillment. That there will be a dual fulfillment seen in both of these chapters that we can, we can kind of track historically, but not quite there, because I think at the end of all things, we'll see a future fulfillment of these. And so in chapter 7, as we heard Vicky read, this little horn will come and he'll wage war against the saints. He will speak out against the Most High and he will be given rule for a time, times, and half a time. And it's most commonly known as three and a half years. A time is a year, times is two years, and half a time. The three and a half years. And so whilst we have said that this fourth beast, which had the ten horns in which one little horn came, was the Roman Empire, with its iron teeth, who've come and devoured and conquered. As we read this, we can see some historical fulfillment in them. Many argue this little horn might have been Nero, who brutally treated Christians and Jews in the first century. But as we read this, that there is some fulfillment there we see. And yet, yet I think it points to a future fulfillment, a dual fulfillment beyond the here and now, to the end of all things. And why do I think that? Well, again, we see in Revelation, as John gets his vision, in Revelation 13, it reads this, And I saw a beast coming out of the seas, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blaspheme, and to exercise its authority for 42 months, or three and a half years. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. So John gets his vision of a similar beast to come, who in the end of all things will wage war against God's holy people. So why I want to say that this beast here, there is some historical fulfillment in the Roman Empire, yes. But I think it points to one who would have come, who, who would probably known as the Antichrist or the false Christ. Like he, he thinks himself to be Christ. Who can come against me? Like he's pretending. He's pretending. And that's the point. And then in chapter 8, we, again, we see this little horn rise up out of the four horns, which we said was the Grecian Empire and the four 
kind of generals who took over. And one of those emperors was the Seleucid Empire. And out of that empire came a man, and we'll say this is the historical fulfillment of this little horn, came a man named Antiochus. He called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means God manifest. He was a brutal, brutal man. He went around just destroying people. Women, children. What he did to pregnant women, I don't even want to say up the front here, but you can go and read it. And it is terrible. And as we read in chapter 8, there were some things that stood out, like he takes away this burnt offering. And then when Daniel's like, how long is it going to last? We read it's 2,300 days. And what we, what we see historically in Antiochus is he comes into the temple and what he does is he sacrifices a pig on the altar, sprinkles the pig blood everywhere, then sets up a statue of Zeus. Disgusting man who desired to be worshipped above all, who thought himself to be God. But after roughly 2,300 days, there was this dude named Judas Maccabees who was just fed up with him and with the power of the Roman Empire behind him came and pushed him out. And then the temple was cleansed. And this is what we hear here. That this moment when the pig was sacrificed is known as that the desolation. And yet, the Maccabees come and they cleanse the temple. And this is actually still celebrated today by most Jewish people as Hanukkah. And so if you didn't know what Hanukkah is, this is the moment that they celebrate when the temple was cleansed. And so what is the point of all this? That there is a historical fulfillment in these little horns that I think point to a future fulfillment. Well, the point is this, that there will come a day where the, kind of the tribulation against God's people will come and heighten. There'll be moments that, that are above the moments we experience today of hardship and persecution. And in the end, it'll be cut short. The beast will be thrown down and the Son of Man will be lifted up. Like, that's it. That's the point of Daniel 7 and 8, that the beasts will be thrown down and the Son of Man will be lifted up. No matter where you stand on interpreting these things, that's what we're confident in. At the end of all days, Jesus will rule and reign as the supreme king of all things. That he will make all things right. That he will come into the world and absolutely destroy all kingdoms. All powers in heaven or on earth. No one can stand against him. And then take his rightful seat. And this is the hope that we have as Christians. In the midst of our persecution hardship that we face today. And so we don't need to lose hope. Because we have a hope in a king of kings. One who's more powerful than the beasts of this world, more powerful than the enemy and the beasts of the air. He is the great I am. But we will face persecution. Like that's a promise of the gospel. There will be hard times in this life. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. And Paul got this. And he writes, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so we look to the things that not are not seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These two powers did not stand a chance against the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And this is the same true for us today as it was for Daniel. 
And this was to encourage the saints, to fill them with hope again, that they might live in this moment of exile in a world that isn't theirs, looking to the future, knowing at the end of all things, Jesus will come back and wipe away every tear. And then we will rise with him into eternity and rule and reign beside him. Church, no matter what or who is coming against you, in this world, our hope is in the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the Son of Man who came and died and rose again. Our hope is in the cornerstone who establishes his kingdom forever. And our hope is in the Ancient of Days who sits on the throne, whose word is everlasting. And our hope is in the God who holds all things together, who was and is and is to come. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are the Ancient of Days, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And whilst we get somewhat of a picture symbolizing what you're like in this book, God, we know that your glory will fill the earth, that you are powerful beyond measure. And we thank you that that power is at work within us, making us more like your son Jesus. And that power is at work for us as you lead us through this world. And God, I thank you that that you are for us. And when you are for us, who can come against us? No one. Lord, would you help us to know that, to, to believe that, to walk through our days being freed by that truth, to live faithfully as your disciples, to love those around us, to pray for those who persecute us, to live lives worthy of the gospel, to point to a day when judgment will come, when you will come once and for all. The court will be seated and the book will be opened. God, I thank you that you're not only the great and righteous and justice judge, but you are our heavenly father. Who when we needed to be humbled, instead Christ was humbled. He humbled himself and he went to the cross for us because of that we are now free to live as your people to be a part of your family your kingdom a kingdom that will reign and rule forever so we thank you we thank you you are a good good God we pray all this in your mighty and your wonderful name Amen Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.